Hey everybody, welcome once again to the John 316 podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Rick. Uh, So glad you're able to uh, be with us uh, on this day. I want to take this time and uh, apologize. I know it's been uh, well over a month since uh, I've recorded a podcast, and I do apologize for that. Um, I've just, uh, there's been a lot going on uh, with the church. You know, we've had Easter and uh, then um, my family and I, we went on vacation, and on top of that, I don't know if uh, you've ever had gout, but I, I get gout really bad, and so I've been dealing with the worst flare-up of that I've ever had, and it's lasted for several weeks, and uh, with that, I just haven't uh, really felt like uh, doing anything other than uh, what needs to be done, and so this was kind of uh, one of the expendable uh, things that I was able to do slack off on so to speak um but i'm feeling better now and so uh i thought i'd get back on here and do a another podcast as we go through different scriptures and uh what i've been deeming uh decalvinizing uh these scriptures uh our previous uh podcast was on decalvinizing uh romans uh chapter 8 uh, verses uh, 28 through 30, which is uh, sometimes known as the golden chain of redemption. Uh, and we went through that and we kind of decalvinized that. And so uh, following that, I thought I would tackle, uh, I guess you could say, the uh, granddaddy of all uh, Calvinist proof texts, um, and that is Romans chapter 9. Uh, Romans chapter 9 is... If you've uh, ever read any Calvinist literature, if you've ever listened to a Calvinist preach on uh, really any of the five points, uh, uh, perhaps maybe total uh, depravity, unconditional election, uh, uh, things like that, no chances are uh, they have went to Romans chapter 9 because it, it fuels their uh systematic theology uh as far as the calvinistic uh system goes and uh, so so at first glance uh if you uh you know didn't really study out the different references that's made uh it really does look as if it's teaching uh calvinist theology um, but really, if you put everything into perspective, put everything into context, uh, it, you really find out that uh, it, it, the Calvinist doesn't have a leg to stand on with Romans chapter nine. Um, I, I, as you know, coming out of Calvinism, and uh, the more I, I learn uh, about different passages and, and looking through that, I used to use to uh, to teach Calvinism to teach. Uh, the Calvinist doctrines, uh, I find that uh, context really kills Calvinism. And uh, I know that that's a phrase that's not original to me, uh, but it's one that's true nonetheless. Uh, if When you put the scriptures into context, uh, you find that Calvinism is a, a theology, a doctrine um, that is really built on sinking sand. And uh, it will not stand uh, the test of scriptures. 
Uh, so to for this podcast, I thought I'd uh, tackle Romans chapter 9. Now, I'm going to admit that this uh, Romans 9, uh, there's plenty of people that uh, teach Romans 9 a lot better probably than what uh, I'm going to do, but I'm going to give it a shot, just kind of give you some some explanation and uh, put everything into maybe some context uh, so that you can see that this uh, writings of Paul in Romans 9, that these writings are not teaching uh, election as the Calvinists would have you uh, to believe. So if you're looking for somebody that does an excellent job of uh, teaching this, I would recommend uh, Dr. Leighton Flowers of uh, Soteriology 101. You can look him up on uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Um, you can find he's got a couple of books on uh, Amazon, one titled The Powder's Promise, and another one titled uh, God's Provision for All. Uh, he's a great writer, good uh, theologian, a good uh Good person to read after if you're looking for a refutation of uh, Reformed theology. And so uh, uh, he does an excellent job, and I'm going to give it a shot tonight. Uh, I say tonight, it's uh, pretty late as I'm doing this. Uh, It's the only time I've been able to uh, sit down and do the podcast is uh, at night. So it's kind of late that I'm doing this. And so I just want you... uh, uh, if you can, uh, open up your Bibles and you can follow along. And like I said, this isn't, I probably won't go into in depth as uh, much as could be done. Um, because, uh, well, we've only got a short time, uh, to do it. And I don't want to bog people down with a, uh, hour and a half or so, uh, podcast. Uh, cause I know people tend to get a little, a little weary, uh, listening through, uh, such long podcasts. So I'm, want to kind of keep it short, but I do want to go through this and put some things into perspective, give you something to think about uh, as we ponder uh, what the Calvinist titled the doctrines of grace and if uh, scripture really teaches this. And so especially Romans chapter nine is that's their biggest chunk of uh, the Bible that they use as, as proof text for it. And so uh, we'll begin uh, with Romans nine. Now, to put everything into context, uh, as I said last time, we looked at uh, Romans chapter 8 and the last uh, verses out of it. And uh, what Paul was doing in that is he was really giving some encouragement to uh, believers that uh, you know just were maybe unsure of the, their future. And so he went through and, and we talked about how he uh use the old testament saints as an example that that god will um will will protect uh his people god will protect his followers and that's what wrote the last uh chapters our last verses i should say of romans chapter 8 is uh discussing how god protects his his faithful uh followers and that was shown in uh the faithful old testament uh saints uh old old testament israel and uh so with that being said we enter into romans chapter 9 and it's almost as if uh we can see a a a tone uh change in paul's writing 
He's he's been going through in uh, in Romans eight, and he's he's all excited about uh, how uh, you know nothing can separate us uh, from the love of God. Th- those of us that are following after God, nothing uh, will be able to separate us. There, there's nothing that will will stop God from loving us and protecting us and to take care of us. And 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 he's just so excited about that. But then we come to Romans nine, and uh, and and he begins to say in verse one, he says, "I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness uh, in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart." Now he's just gone from being super excited, and now he's he's sorrowful. What is he sorrowful about? What is he, um, you know, just? hurting over what is this heaviness uh this burden that he's bearing now so he says in verse number three for i could wish that myself were accursed from christ for my brethren my kinsmen according to the flesh um says who are israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law uh and the service of god and the promises Whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. So what he's doing, he's expressing his sorrow uh, that he has for uh, Israel as they're in a, a hardened state. They're in a rebellious state uh, against God as they had uh, rejected the Messiah. And so as they have rejected the Messiah, they have uh, grown hardened. They have grown calloused. Uh, There's really, uh, besides they've rejected Christ, there's no hope for them. They they have uh, rejected Christ, and so uh, they are uh, bound uh, for hell because of their rejection uh, of the the Savior. And so Paul is saying with all this compassion, he says, if he says if it was possible, he says I would uh, take Israel's place. He says I would be cursed. I would be damned uh, if 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 only that would bring about the salvation of Israel. And so right away, as uh, as Doctor Flowers would say, uh, we we see that that Paul has has this extreme compassion, but uh, and if. The Calvinist view is correct. He has a passion for Israel that uh, Jesus wouldn't have. But yet, we're looking at this from a perspective that uh, is not Calvinistic. And so we see where Paul actually does have a the same uh, compassion and love for uh, Israel that, that Jesus would have. Um so he's saying, he's, I've got this compassion. I've got this desire to see Israel be saved. And if it was up to me, he said, I would give up my salvation if it would uh, cause Israel to see the light and be saved. Uh, and so he, he goes through and he's, he's talking about how that uh, it was uh, Israel who uh, it says, who are Israelites, it says, uh, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory uh, and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, 
whose are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came. And so he's, he's all the, he's right now is talking about how, uh, Israel, uh, was given a task, uh, and God had entrusted Israel with a major responsibility. Uh, God had entrusted Israel with bringing, uh, the message of redemption to a lost and dying world. Uh, and he did that through, um, their adoption. Uh, he, he did that through him, uh, glorifying Israel and, you know, uh, enlarging them as he did, uh, the, the covenants that he made with Israel as all the covenants pointed to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, the giving of the law, uh, which we know the law is, uh, a school teacher, a school master that, that brings somebody to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, uh, their service of God and the promises. Um, and then and he says, of whose of, are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came. And of course, that's a, a teaching that you see all throughout uh, Paul's writings about how uh, it was to the Jew first and then also the Gentiles about salvation. Jesus came uh to his own and his own receiving not, according to uh, the Apostle John, as he wrote in his uh, in his gospel, and so he's uh, he's he's establishing this concept about Israel and this great responsibility, this great task that they had of bringing about uh, the word of God to the world, and so as they're given this task of bringing about the word of God uh, to the world, um, it might be said, you know, well, since Israel is in unbelief, they rejected Christ, the Messiah. Uh, Wouldn't that mean that uh, God failed in in choosing Israel? And that's kind of what Paul is expecting one might say. So in verse number six, he says, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. So he says, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Uh, so uh, when he refers to Israel, he's, he's referring to um, Jacob. I guess you could probably say that. Uh, you, you could probably even say that he's referring to national Israel. And what he's getting at is that just because uh, you're an Israelite by birth, just because you've uh, been circumcised just because you've uh, grown up and and you've been taught the law and all this. He says that doesn't mean that that you're saved. That doesn't mean you're um, you're part of the people that have been uh, called to uh, bring up to to bring the word to a lost and dying world. Um, because he goes on to say in verse number seven. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And so what Paul is doing here is he's making reference to, uh, well, the father of uh, of uh, Israel, Abraham. And so he's, he's saying that just because you are uh, Abraham's uh, child, a uh, son of Abraham, just because you're you're Jewish by birth, he says that doesn't mean that you're uh, part of the ones that would carry out this promise. Now, because remember, 
Abraham had more than one son. Uh, his first son was Ishmael. That was uh, uh, from a relationship he had with uh, Sarah's handmaid, Hagar. And um, so he, he says, he says it wasn't through uh, Ishmael that uh, the word would be fulfilled. Uh, even after Isaac was born and Sarah died, uh, Abraham had uh, another wife and he had several other uh, children with her. And uh, it wasn't through uh, those children that the word was was promised. He says this promise only came through Isaac. He said, and Isaac shall thy seed be called. He says, that is, um, they which are the children of the flesh, that uh, these are not the children of God, uh, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So in other words, like I just got through saying, uh, just because you uh, have Abraham as your father doesn't make mean that you're uh, going to be the one to carry out the, the word of promise. He says that was only through uh, Isaac that this was to be called out. And so if we were to take the Calvinist perspective on this, uh, we would have to, you would have to say that um, Isaac would have been saved and uh, Ishmael and these other children of, um, uh, of Abraham uh, would have been lost because God uh, didn't want anything to do with them. Uh, because they conflate uh, election, uh, especially in this passage, with uh, salvation or uh, those that would be saved. When uh, a lot of times what election means is that God chose you uh, for a task. Uh, Jesus uh, told the apostles, he says, uh, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And so what was he saying? That Was it for salvation? No, because if that was the case, uh, he was talking to Judas as well. And we know Judas wasn't saved. What was that choosing that he was talking about? He says, I've chosen you to, for a task. He says, I've chosen you apostles to uh, carry out a task of going into Israel and, and preaching uh, the gospel. And so the election is about that task that God has, that that ministry that God wants them to fulfill. And so it's through Isaac, not through Ishmael or through any of the other uh, children of Abraham, but through Isaac that this word, this promise that God had made would be fulfilled. And so that's what Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 9. Uh, he goes on to say, he says, For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Not Hagar, not his, not uh, Abraham's second wife, he says, but Sarah. Sarah's going to have a son. And who was that son? It was Isaac. He says Isaac's going uh, to be the one to carry out this uh, this promise, this, this word that's going to be fulfilled uh, through him. And he goes on and he makes a uh, reference to another uh, Old Testament person that uh, the Jews would be uh, familiar with. It says, not only this, but when Rebekah, who had conceived by one, uh, even by our father Isaac, um, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good work, uh, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, speaking of 
uh, uh, Esau would be the servant of Jacob. Uh, he wanted uh, Jacob to be the one uh, to carry out this promise, not not Esau. And so uh, he uses this reference here, as is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, when he talks about this, he's referencing uh, Malachi chapter 1. And so I want to turn there uh, to show you what he is uh, saying. Uh, Malachi chapter number 1 uh, says in verse, we'll begin reading verse number 1. He says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi it says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Uh, and so he, Israel is saying, what do you mean you loved us? How, how, how can you say that you've loved us? And so he answers that. And he says, was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? He says, yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste uh, for the dragons of the wilderness. And so he says, whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down, and they shall call, uh, and they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. So what he's saying here is, when he quotes uh, from Malachi, he's, he's saying that, look, he says, I've loved Jacob, and he says, I hated Esau, but why did he hate Esau? Well, the reference to him hating Esau is made uh, many, many, many years after uh, Jacob and Esau had been born, and so it had to do with uh, Esau's uh, offspring, the Edomites, how that they had rejected God, and they were against God. And so it's because of that, he says, he says, I've used Jacob, he says, who who has uh, been faithful. He says, he says, I love Jacob, he says, whom you came from. He says, he says I've uh, protected you, he says, but he says, Esau, he says, he's, I've hated them. But why did he hate them? Because they rejected him. They, 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 everything he would do, they would uh, do the complete opposite. He did what he could to, uh, to get them to come to him, but he just, but the Edomites just refused. When he would uh, tear something down, they would build it back up again. And so the hatred they had for Edom uh, was because of uh, their rebellion against them. Had nothing to do with the uh, election as the Calvinists would have you uh, believe. It had nothing to do with how, uh, you know, the Calvinist view of unconditional election. It was just everything to do with how they responded uh, to God and his provision. And so with that being said, they uh, rejected God. And, and so God carried on his task, carried on his plan, carried on his promises through the lineage of Jacob, who, you know, Edom, uh, Esau, uh, he, he, was, he had Abraham as a, a, a grandfather uh, uh, it's, uh, in his lineage, but yet uh, it wasn't through Edom that this task would be carried out. It was through uh, Jacob. It was, the, the task would be carried out, this promise the, uh, of the word 
that God had made would be carried out through Isaac and then through uh, Jacob. And so uh, he's, he's telling Israel, he says, look, just because you have uh, Abraham as your, your father, he says, that doesn't mean Jack. He says, I can uh, do whatever I want to. And so that's what he, uh, he begins to, uh, to, to discuss in the following verses. He says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Uh, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And here we come to another uh, verse in Romans 9 where the Calvinists would stop and say, you see, he says it doesn't matter uh, what you want. It doesn't matter if you uh, are desiring to be to be saved. It doesn't matter if you are, are, are you know, just really, uh, you know, wanting that, salvation that God has. He said, it doesn't matter what you want. They would say, it's all up to God. God's going to save uh, who he wants to, when he wants to. Um, and, and to that, I would, I would agree, but that's not what this verse is speaking of. It says, so then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that hath showeth, that showeth mercy. So what's being discussed here? What, what are they talking about? Him that Willeth and him that runneth. Uh, uh, what what's what's being talked about here? It's about Israel's pursuit, hardened Israel's pursuit about obtaining righteousness through their works. They're they're running after righteousness. They're 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 willing to to do whatever it takes uh, to be saved. Uh, so they they do what they can to to keep the the law, and they they do what they can to uh, to to you know, rely on their own righteousness. Uh, that's the, the objector that Paul is dealing with uh, throughout Romans chapter 9. And say, how do you know that? Because that's the objector that he's dealing with uh, throughout the book of Romans. Uh, I mean, in, in Romans chapter number um, 2, he, uh, he makes reference to, um, Uh, in verse number uh, 17, he says, Behold, thou art called a Jew and resteth in the law and makest thyself boast of God. And, and there's several other passages like that you can go and, and read in the book of Romans where it's uh, these self-righteous Israelites that have hardened themselves against God uh, because they uh, don't believe that they needed Jesus. They rejected Jesus. Why? Because they reject him on the basis by saying, we can do it ourselves. We've, we can, uh, we can obtain salvation through works. That's what hardened Israel had said. Uh, and go through and read, read the gospels. They had uh, rejected the Messiah, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes and all these religious rulers and all those that, that, that took their side when Jesus was being crucified. They were they were in a sense saying, "We've got the law. We've got the um, the promises. We uh, we're we're going to be saved just because we're Jews." And so Paul is making the case that just because you're a Jew doesn't mean squat. 
you're 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 just uh, uh like Pharaoh, uh, and uh, that's the next reference that he makes. He says, uh, "For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be uh, declared throughout all the earth." Uh, he he's really laying into uh, this hardened Israel now. He's saying just as Pharaoh had hardened his heart against God and then um, you know, had rebelled against God. Uh, he says, uh, God uh, told Pharaoh, he says, I've raised you up. He says, and I'm using you for a purpose. And so this whole analogy that we're fixing to get into now, uh, well, once again, he says in verse number 18, therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will, he hardeneth make a reference to how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, when he hardened Pharaoh's heart, we need to understand that it was in response to Pharaoh already hardening his own heart. God or Pharaoh rejected God. Pharaoh rejected the, um, the, the proclamation that God had sent through Moses, uh, declaring him to let my people go. But so why did, uh, so Pharaoh, he, when he rejected that, God let Pharaoh stay in that uh, rejectful state and harden his heart even more. Why? So that he could bring about bring about a purpose and and fulfill that purpose of the word being uh, fulfilled. Uh, as uh, Leighton Flowers uh, discussed in in his book, the uh, Passover to come, and so he's saying to the Israelites, he's hardened. Israelites, just as Pharaoh and his heart was hardened to bring about a purpose, he's saying, God has hardened your heart uh, even more to bring about a purpose. And we're going to see that that purpose was to bring in the Gentiles and to let the Gentiles be grafted in uh, to uh, to Israel, to believing Israel. Let me make that clear. Uh, so that they could obtain salvation. And so that's what this uh, continues to discuss. Once again, the reference is made, Therefore he hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Now notice that. What does the Calvinist teach about, uh, about mankind? It teaches that man is uh, totally depraved, and that man uh, is completely against God, and that man is, is born with a a hardened heart. Well, if man is born with a heart that is already hardened against God, now let me ask you this, Calvinist. Why would God have to harden somebody's heart? See, it doesn't make sense. Why, why would somebody born with a hardened heart have to have their heart hardened? It's pointless. See, that's, that's why when you look at the scriptures that the Calvinists used to back up their their systematic uh, and, and put everything in a context that seems to fall apart. It just goes away uh, because they've got nothing to stand on. And so he, uh, he hardens um, Pharaoh's heart so that he can use Pharaoh to bring about the purpose of the Passover. And uh, Israel's heart was hardened. Uh, so that he could uh, use them to bring about the uh, 
the second Passover, I guess you you could you could say with with Jesus being that Passover lamb uh, to to crucify Jesus to so that he could bring about salvation to a lost and dying world so that he would be crucified. And so he's using uh, even hardened Israel for a purpose. And so that's why we we move on and we say, see in verse number 19, thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Now, notice how he's referring to this. See, he's referring, uh, thou wilt say unto uh, thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? This is, uh, you know, the Calvinists would have you to believe that this is a first century uh, Armenian or provisionist or non-Calvinist that's making this accusation against uh, God for, um, you know, their doctrine of election. Um, but really what this is, once again, it's this hardened Jew that is, uh, you know, speaking about how, you know, we if we've been hardened and uh, yet God is still using us to bring about his purpose, then then why does he find fault with us? Why we, We're doing what he what he wants us to do. Uh, so why does he find fault? And he, he says, uh, in verse number 20, nay, but oh man, who art thou that replies against God? And, and this is really... Uh, nothing new. This is a something that's been brought up uh, before in Romans. The same kind of uh, question from an anonymous uh, person or from a, a hardened Israelite. Uh, Romans chapter three, verses five through eight. Um, this kind of uh, sets things into place. It says, "But if our unrighteousness." Commend the righteousness of God. What shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. It says, God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath uh, more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. So basically, you know, if my being sinful and rebellious is bringing about good, then why is God judging me if uh, if he's being um, glorified through my evilness, if he's being glorified through my wickedness, if he's being glorified through my through my hardness and my rebellion, he says, why is he punishing me if, in a sense, I'm actually bringing glory to God? And so that's when Paul responds, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? And then he gets into this famous analogy that uh, Calvinists like to use about the potter and the clay. Verse 21, hath not the potter power over the clay uh, of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Uh, this is a reference to Jeremiah chapter uh, 18. And so uh, we're going to look at this, uh, Jeremiah chapter 18, uh, for just a, a brief moment because it, this will put things into context. You see, the... Uh, the Calvinists will 
use this analogy and say, you see, uh, God can take uh, man and he says he can take some of those that are, uh, he can, he can take and take this lump of mankind and uh, such as uh, might be a, a clay. And he says he can take a lump of mankind and he can uh, make some people that are reprobate that will never be saved and, and, and use them to, uh, and pour out his wrath upon them for a purpose. He says, and then he can take some of mankind and elect them to salvation and, uh, and, and use them for, for his glory. And so that, that's the Calvinist take on that. But when we look at the context that, that Jeremiah is, uh, is speaking in, in Romans chapter 18, I'm sorry, I flipped through my Bible and went to Romans chapter 8, but no, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 8. Uh, but in Jeremiah chapter 18, where this uh, analogy comes from, uh, we look and, and we see just who the, the, the potter, well, we know who the potter is, but the lump of clay that the potter is, uh, is, is molding and making. So we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Jeremiah chapter 18 says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work uh, on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred uh, in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, listen to this, can I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. So who's the who's the clay actually being? It's Israel. Now notice too, Israel is marred already. And so he's, he's saying, look, he says, the potter has this clay that is marred. It's, it's not what it's supposed to be. It's, uh, it's, it's messed up. And so he's saying the potter can do what he wants to with this lump of clay that is Israel. And so he says, he says, I can uh, form it. He says, I can make it into whatever I want it to be. And so he's uh, just doing that. And then. Uh, we read further, he says, At what instance uh, I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have uh, pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant uh, I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Notice once again, he's, he's using this analogy. And this analogy is, if I've got hardened clay, he says, it's marred. He says, he's, I can throw it away if I want to. He says, he's, I can use it uh, for destruction. And so why can he use it for destruction? 
because it's hardened against God. It's rebellious against God. Uh, that's that's what he's getting at here, uh, that, and that's what he said. He said, I can plug it up, and I, he said, I can pull it down. He said, I can destroy it. He said, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn, but look, notice this again. Uh, if they turn from their evil, he says, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And then he goes on to say, uh, and at what instant I shall speak concerning the nation and concerning the kingdom to build and to plant it. This would be the uh, vessels of uh, that he's you know, pleased with, uh, you, know, uh, the, you know, the vessel for honor. You know, he makes reference in our text in Romans to the uh, vessels of, uh, of honor and another to dishonor. Well, the vessel of dishonor is that that's rebellious. And he says, I can pluck it up. I can tear it down. And he says, I can uh, build up that vessel that's used for honor. He says, but he says, if that vessel turn that's uh, uh, against whom I have pronounced turn from evil, he says, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do in it. He says, in that one instance, I shall speak concerning the nation and concerning the kingdom to build and to plant it, uh, you know, that vessel for honor. He says, if that vessel for honor uh, is to do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, he says, I will repent of the good, wherewith I said I would, uh, I would benefit them. And so he's showing Israel. He says, look, he says, this is something you should be familiar with. You're familiar with the, the, the vessel of clay, or the, the, the potter and the clay and the vessel for honor and the vessel for dishonor. He says, I spoke that. He says, about you. He says, if I want to take Israel, he says, I want to use these uh, people that are rebellious and hardened against me and, and use them for, uh, for, for common purpose, uh, as it says. Um, he says, I will do that. He says, if I want to use a portion of it for honorable purposes, he says, I'm going to do that. He says, I'm the potter. He says, Israel, you've got no leg to stand on. He says, you want to come out and say that that just because uh, I'm a uh, Israelite, just because I've got Abraham uh, as my father, God, you can't do this to me. God says, I can do whatever I want to do because I am God. You don't reply to me, Israel. You don't talk back to me. He says, he says I will do uh, good if I want to do good. He says, I will do uh, do bad to you if I wanted wanted to. I will. He says, I will destroy you if I want to. Just because you are uh, Jewish doesn't mean that I owe you anything. It's not because of what you've done or who your grandfather is. He says you're a. a, a, a he says Israel right now is wicked. He says I'm going to do what I want to do with them. And so until you repent, he says I'm going to use you for dishonorable purposes. Or as he says in verse uh, uh, 22, he says, you're, you're a vessel of wrath that's fitted for destruction. He says, I might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared unto glory. He says, even us who hath called, uh, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Now, as he saith in uh, Hosea, he says, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not my beloved. Now he's getting into the uh, choice to bring the Gentiles in. 
In other words, he's saying, I'm, he says, I'm going to leave out hardened Israel. He says, because they're not listening to me. They're rebellious. He says, I'm going to use them for dishonorable purposes. He says, I'm going to uh, harden them. He says, and because I'm hardening them, he says, I'm going to bring in the Gentiles. I'm going to graft the Gentiles in. And he's, and he's reminding Israel, he's reminding this hardened, uh, rebellious uh, Israelite that I can, that I can and I will bring these Jews or bring these Gentiles that were not a people. They were, they were worshiping other gods. He says, but he says, I can bring them in. I can graft them in if I want to. And that's just what I'm going to do. And in fact, we see that this is all part of God's plan, that God is using the Gentiles and bringing them in to provoke the Jews, to provoke the hardened Israel uh, in, in hopes that they would repent and, and come back to him. And so that's God's plan right now, is to use his hardened Israel as a way to graft in the Gentiles, to bring about salvation to the Gentiles. And he says all this was mentioned uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, he says uh, in verse number 26, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of God. You know, thank God that he is that his word doesn't fail. That's what the entire chapter uh, of Romans 9 is about. God's word does not fail. Even when uh, it looks like it has failed, even when these Israelites who were called and chosen to bring about uh, the promises of his word, even when a great majority of Israel has rebelled and hardened themselves against God, he says, God's word does not fail. God's word will not return void. God's word will do what God said it would do. He says, I've said I'm going to use uh, my people to bring about salvation. And that's just what he's done. But we've still got these hardened Jews that are in rebellion against God. So God says, I'm going to use them for for uh, dishonorable purposes. They've hardened themselves against me, so I'm going to judge them. He said, but at the same time I'm judging them, I'm still going to use them to bring about salvation to the Gentiles. God's word, regardless of mankind, and, and even these hardened Jews, uh, will not fail. Praise God that his word does not fail and that it doesn't depend on him that willeth or him that runneth, but it depends on God. And God says, my word will stand. Verse number 27, he makes reference to Isaiah and he says, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be of the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Once again, he's making reference of uh, physical Israel, those that were descendants of Abraham, he says, they're of the sands of the sea. He says, but, he says, only a remnant, only a small portion of Israel would be saved. Why? Because they're trying to pursue righteousness through the works of the law. Verse number 28, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Still talking about uh, uh, Isaiah. He says, and Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom uh, and been like, made like unto Gomorrah. Once again, talking about uh, 
Israel, if uh, if God had not had a that small selection that he chose to save those that were faithful to him, he says they would have been wiped off the map just like Sodom and Gomorrah. They would have had that judgment of of fire and brimstone rain down upon them, but God saved a remnant. Why? Because this remnant was be, being used to bring about God's message to the world, God's message of hope and redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 30, what shall we say then uh, that the Gentiles, which notice this, this is where it really gets down to it about hardened Israel. What shall we say then that the Gentiles, which follow not after righteousness, have obtained righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? How do the Gentiles obtain righteousness? It says they follow not after righteousness. What does he mean there? Means they they didn't follow the law, they didn't try and keep the law to obtain righteousness. He says, but even though they didn't try and obtain it, even though they didn't try to obtain righteousness through the laws, that's what that means through their good deeds. He says they attained it. How? Even the righteousness which is of faith. It was by faith that they obtained righteousness. Verse thirty-one. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, verse 32, or why, says here, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in sign a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Israel, this hardened Israel, they did not obtain righteousness because they were trying to obtain it by their works, by keeping the law, by keeping the ordinances, by relying on the fact that they had Abraham for their father. Jesus told uh, told them several times, just because you have Abraham for your father doesn't mean anything. He says, he says, he says, if I, God wanted to, he said he could he could make the the rocks cry out. He can make a child of God out of anything. He says, but just because you're a Jew doesn't mean that you're a, a, a true Israelite. Just because you're you're Jewish doesn't mean you're a true son of Abraham. He says, you, you're following after the law to obtain righteousness. He says, and that's not how you obtain it. You obtain it by faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul is writing here, he says, the reason Israel is in the state that they're in, the reason Israel is hardened against God is because when Jesus Christ, that, that stone, that rock of offense came, it says they stumbled at it. They rejected it. They did not want Jesus Christ. They wanted the works of the law to be saved. And so as uh, as they rejected Christ, uh, God hardened their heart to bring about salvation to the Gentiles, a promise that had been made in the Old Testament. God was using Israel. He was using hardened Israel, and he was uh, using uh, the softened Israel or the people that uh, that followed after God through Jesus Christ by faith. He was using both of them to bring about his word. And so when Paul is writing this, he's not writing uh, as a Calvinist arguing with a uh, an Armenian or a non-Calvinist. He's writing as a, a saved Jew uh, that is 
uh, presenting to uh, a hardened Israelite the fact that the you were tried to obtain salvation through works of the law. He says, and that is not how salvation comes. It comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Just because you're an Israelite, just because you've got Abraham for your father doesn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything for Ishmael. It didn't mean anything for Abraham's other sons. It didn't mean anything for, for Esau. He said it was that, that one lineage that God was using to bring about his purpose and to bring about salvation to the rest of the world. He says it was through Isaac, through Jacob, through those that were faithful to God and trusted in the Lord. That's uh, the ones that would be used of God. Those are the ones that would be used of God to carry about that purpose. Uh, God's word did not fail because uh, most of Israel was hardened against Christ. God was using, God even used their hardness to bring about the promise of his word. God's word does not fail. That's what Paul is trying to get across here. And God used hardened Israel uh, still for a purpose. He said, uh, and that was to bring about uh, the promise of, of salvation uh, to the world. Um, I know I went a little long, longer than what I uh, was expecting uh, to go, uh, but that uh, was uh, actually, that's Romans 9. Uh, I know, like I said, there's plenty of other people that probably could have done a, a better job explaining it. I hope I did, uh, did it justice. Uh, if not, shame on me. Um, but I just wanted you to see that uh, there's another way to look at Romans 9, and I believe that when you put it into the context of uh, Paul addressing a uh, hardened Israelite that uh, and, and how that just because they are trying to obtain righteousness through the law, uh, he says, you know, that, that's not how righteousness comes. It's through faith, and he, he goes through and he lays out that case uh, about how God can use whoever he wants to, however he wants to, uh, so that his word uh, will stand. And so that's the that's the argument that Paul is making uh, in Romans chapter 9. And, and if you put Romans chapter 9 in uh, with, you know, chapter 10 and chapter 11, uh, you see just how all of this fits together. And it's not Calvinist at all. It's, it's not teaching uh, the doctrine of election and, uh, and things like that, or the, you know, as the Calvinist would have you to believe. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, good to be back, uh, able to uh, look at different scriptures. Uh, hope you'll join us again. Uh, be sure to, uh, to like uh, the podcast, uh, get updates for when we... Uh, we'll release another one. Hopefully, I'll be able to get back to doing this uh, weekly. Uh, once again, I apologize for the long hiatus, um, but I'm doing better now, hoping to uh, come back with some more uh, podcasts as we uh, continue to refute uh, Reformed theology, a, a doctrine that I believe uh, does a great uh, dishonor uh, to the character of God. And so uh, until next time, 
Uh, God bless you and um, continue to study the scriptures, be a Berean, and uh, and just uh, stay away. <laughs> I can stay away from Calvinism. Uh, but if you must, uh, don't let the Calvinists uh, trick you. Don't let them uh, say, well, you know, set up false dichotomies. Um, you know, you don't have to be a Calvinist or an Armenian. There's, uh, there's other, uh, ways of looking at the scripture and, um, and it's not the Calvinist uh, viewpoint. Um, once again, uh, if you would like further information on provisionism, I would recommend, uh, Leighton Flowers, uh, with Soteriology 101. There's also another podcast and, uh, you can find them on YouTube known as, uh, the provisionist uh, perspective, uh, and, and there's several other websites and podcasts and YouTube uh, channels that you can find if you uh, just search for them. Uh, but until next time, uh, God bless you, and I hope to see you again. Thanks.